Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. For me, it is always a great joy to fellowship with you. Your energy is very innovating, so when I sit among you, I feel my batteries get recharged along the way. I was asked to speak on the authority of the believer. The authority of the believer. And I will seek within the next few minutes to do so because we will also be having communion. So I will pay attention to observe the time given. Can we share a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that your spirit is here with us and that the entrance of your word will bring light. It will release us to manifest the measures of power that you have put in us so that we can fulfill destinies that you have ordained for our lives. Thank you for the companionship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The authority of the believer. To understand the authority of the believer, you have to understand the genesis of man. And a very short passage that will allow you to appreciate that is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. I'll read that. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the best in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So basically, this is a clear definition of the mandate that God gave to man. Man was made a ruler over the earth. In fact, Psalm 115, verse 16 says, there Heavens of heavens belongs to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So man was made a God of this earth, not a God with capital G, a God with small G over this earth. And the important thing I want you to notice is that there was zero qualification on man's dominion. There was no restriction. 
He didn't say, if you are obedient, if you pay tithes, if you serve me, there was nothing like that. So there was absolutely no restriction on man's dominion. It did not depend upon whether he was good or bad, served God or did not serve God. Let's take note of that. And this is where an opinion as to how Satan came in and how man lost that initial authority needs to be reviewed. We have many people say before man was formed, Satan has sinned against God and had been cast down on earth. And they give all sorts of theories about that. I don't believe that. I don't. It's an opinion. There's nothing in the Bible that says. The Bible talks about Satan being cast down. But the timing is not mentioned. If you give birth to a child or someone who is new to a place and you leave him alone in that place knowing that there is a wolf around and especially if the person is your child then you without warning him and without protecting him then you are subject to child abuse. Satan did not come into the garden of Eden as Satan. He came as Lucifer, a ministering spirit to man who had been formed and given authority over the earth. He did not come as Satan. He came as Lucifer. While in the garden, recognizing the unrestricted authority of man and being envious of that authority and wanting to exalt himself above God, he sought in that garden to maneuver through the serpent to usurp man's authority so that he could use that authority as a leverage to rise above God. Otherwise, God would have been guilty of child abuse to put somebody in the garden without any covering and without warning him that there was someone atrocious around. So I differ from that opinion. Dix takes that opinion in his commentary. I completely differ from it. Read Ezekiel chapter 28. It will help you. Where Satan is... Uh, described as the anointed cherub who was in the garden of Eden. It was not Satan who was in the garden. It was the anointed angel. Satan himself, uh, Lucifer, who was in the garden. Also read Isaiah 14. It will help you, especially chapter, verse 12. I want you also to note one thing. That it is our earthly body that gives us the right to be here. It is our earthly bodies that give us the right to be here. Because this is the dominion of man where we have earthly bodies. Pigs have earthly bodies. Ants have earthly bodies. Angels don't have earthly bodies. Demons don't have an earthly body. God is spirit. 
He does not have an earthly body. What gives you the right to be here is your earthly body. Anytime you lose that earthly body, then your right to be here is cancelled. If God wants to operate here because he's a gentleman and does not alter his promises, he will have to use an earthly body. So when Goliath was insulting God, saying all that he could, God did not come down by tender. He came down through a young man called David to silence him. Satan cannot operate here without consent and the compression of a human being. He cannot. You can then understand why demons clamor so much for human bodies. Because when they possess a human body, then they acquire the right to be here and to operate. When they don't have the earthly body, then they have lost the right to be here and to operate. So you can understand why the demons were pleading with Jesus. Please don't send us out. And how they were even willing to accept being cast into pigs. Why? It is not a human body, so they have, low, they have been lowered in status. But it is still an earthly body, and they can operate through the pigs. But Jesus knew better, because the pigs were designed to run into the water and perish. So they had to leave. Even an ant has more authority on earth than Satan. An ant, an ant, a pig has more authority on earth than Satan. In order for God to operate here, he came through a woman. So John 1, 10, 1, 2, read it. It talks about he who comes through the door is legal, but he who does not come through the door is a thief. Satan has maneuvered to operate here using human beings or animals. He has not come here legally. Jesus came here legally through an authentic human body and had the right to be here. That is what John 10, 1 and 2 is telling you. Let me say in this portion of the power of your human body that Satan cannot do anything to you without your consent or your cooperation. Satan cannot do anything to you without your consent or your cooperation. You consent when you sin because Romans 6 tells us that to whoever you obey or submit yourself, he becomes your master. That is how sin can be that dangerous. And that's how we ought to keep our bodies well because they are the temples of the Holy Spirit. If your body is not there, the Holy Spirit cannot operate on your behalf again because he's in you. 
So take good care of your bodies. Take very, very good care of your bodies. Be careful whom you join yourself to in illicit sex. Be careful. So what did Jesus do for us? I want you to know this statement very well. Jesus did not only die for us. Jesus died as us. It's important you know this. Jesus did not only die for us. Jesus died as us. Jesus died as Baba. Jesus died as Kweku. Jesus died as Amma. So when he died, Amma died. When he rose up, Amma rose up. When he was lifted up, Amma was lifted up. And when he sat down at the place of majesty, Amma sat down at that place with him because he did not just only die for you, but he died as you. Read your book of Romans very well. I don't have time to take you through that exegesis. But when he was buried, we were buried with him. When he rose up, we rose up with him. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, we are seated with him in the heavenly place. To know who you are and know who Christ is in you, that is a difference maker. When we talk of empowerment, people think we are talking of being given more power. More often than not, that is not it. More often than not, empowerment is about understanding the power you have, you already have, not will have, you already have, and removing the restrictions that will allow you to operate in that power. That is empowerment. It's not being given more power. You don't need more power. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in my Lord and he lives in us. So we are complete in him. You are not half. You are not 99%. You are 100% complete in Christ Jesus. You don't need more power. You need education to release the power you already have. That's empowerment. May you be freed by the word of God to know the power that you have and to begin to operate in it. Amen. It's unfortunate. But sometimes when we go to church, it is a church that the power that we have is depressed. Where people make you look as if if you don't go to Bible school, if you are not wearing a clerical collar, then you are a second-class citizen. There's nothing like a second-class citizen. There's nothing like a lay person. All of us are indwelled by the same spirit of God. There is no second-class Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. So arise in Jesus' name and begin to exercise the authority that you have. Amen.
Bible is clear that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with him. So he's not ruling alone. We are ruling with him. John 16, uh, Matthew 16, 19 talks of we being given the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. Because we have the keys of the kingdom, Jesus in teaching us how to pray says we should pray that the kingdom should come. If you understand logic, it makes sense. If I'm traveling to Kumasi and I come and say, please pray that I'll reach safely. It means there's some power in you that will make a difference in my journey. That is why I come to you and say, please pray that I reach safely. Am I talking sense? So when God says, pray that your kingdom come, it is because we are the owners of earth. He has given us the earth as ours. So he said that we should pray that he, he, God's kingdom should come because we are now holding the keys of the kingdom here. Amen. So you are not a mere man. You are not a mere woman. He says we have been given the, king, the keys of the kingdom, not the keys to the kingdom. If you're a student of English language, the two means different terms. The key to the kingdom means that you can open the kingdom and enter. So you can open the kingdom for another person to also enter. But you don't have access to all the rooms of the kingdom. That's what the keys to, to, to the kingdom means. But the keys of the kingdom means every room, every gate, every door, every place in the kingdom has been given to you. And you can enter all of them without let. Amen. That is why when John saw God in his glory, in Revelation chapter 2, he said, I saw a door standing open in heaven so that we can enter in and out as we please. May you learn to enter into the presence of God every day. For me, whether I like it or not, no matter how tired I am, by 2 p.m., my body has been disciplined to acknowledge that I must wake up. Give or take a few minutes, I must wake up. But I don't want to miss a day without appearing before the throne of grace to spend two hours, three hours, at least an hour speaking to the God who has given me the keys of the kingdom. When you do that, you overcome your fear of man because man, the princes of men, the kings of men, the president, they don't have power. All power belongs to the one who is seated on the throne. And he has put the keys of the kingdom in your hand. Amen. Some time back, uh, 
a cousin of mine, a Muslim. I come from a Muslim family. Some have become Christian, but some are still Muslims. We had a member of our family who had a peculiar case. It was clearly demonic from the way they were defining it, describing it. And when the sickness comes upon her, she crawls almost like an animal, billowing and being violent. So I realized that it was a demonic possession. And that, I asked her, how are they doing? And she related this story to me and said, we are trying to contribute money because we have tried everywhere and it's not working. So we want to take him to our home time for attention. I said, oh, don't disturb yourself. Just bring her here. She came, it was on a Wednesday, she came on Saturday, and my prayer partners, we just spent a few minutes, the demon manifested and was pleading that we should not send it out, and that he had married her, and all sorts of things. We just ignored the idiot, and then sent him out. One of the nights when I woke up after and entered into prayer with God, I went back to sleep and then I had a dream, which was not a dream. And the import of that dream was clear, that death had decided to take the life of my firstborn son. The dream was very clear. I can't go into it. So I woke up and then I smiled. And then I thanked God for the power that he has given to rest. That power is even over death. Death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. When I die, death will not see me. It is the angels of God that will lift you into the presence of God. You have power over death. So I thank God for that power. And then I knelt down and I said, Dev, you don't have that authority. You don't at all. You cannot because of the blood of Jesus and the authority he has given to her. You cannot touch any of my children. You cannot. A few days later, about 12 p.m., my first daughter was banging on my door at midnight, violently, and when I opened it, she was wailing. She, she said she had seen death trying to take the elder brother away because she also prays. And I said, oh, you are a little bit late. I saw it three days ago. It has already been handled. So just uh, spare yourself the agony. <laughs> Go and sleep. It's handled. You have power over death. That's how far your authority goes. The authority Adam had was over earth alone. But because you are operating in the line of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, who is your high priest, you have been given power over earth to operate in heaven, to operate under the earth. Amen. So your authority is greater than the authority that Adam had. And you are more empowered than the power that Adam had. Adam did not have the Holy Spirit in him. God was not living in him. He had only a human spirit. You have 
the spirit of God within you. You are his temple. You are far higher than Adam. May you operate like the last Adam, Jesus Christ, to whom nothing was restricted, who is able to do all things, because that is what you are. You are a joint heir of the Father. Amen. May you learn to operate like that. Don't elevate Satan. Don't. What he does is to take the power that you have and use it against you. He comes with temptations. He comes with accusations. He comes with all sorts of promises. And if you follow him and give him your consent by doing what he says you should do, then he has power over you. Otherwise, he has no power over you. Absolutely nil power. Nil power. Satan cannot touch you without your consent and cooperation. Many of us come to church, we sing to the glory of God, we go home and we do all sorts of things. You are a generation that never closed their zips. For many of you, your zips are always open. It shouldn't be the case of a child of God. Because whoever you sleep with, you are married to that person, whether you have entered into any vows or not. You don't know scripture. Be careful. May the spirit of God and the voice of teaching that you have heard today release you from any illicit relationship that binds you to another person, that causes you to infract the word of God. May you rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the counsel of God so that the dominion of Satan over your life will be broken. Satan cannot touch you without your consent. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. But he says something. Let's open to Matthew 28. And I'll close that section because Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what the next verse says. Therefore, cannot start a sentence without a prior sentence. You can't just start writing an AC. Therefore, I have decided to go to Tamale. You are, you are, you are not correct. Therefore implies that there is an earlier thought which you are referring to. Therefore go and make disciples. The therefore is referring to the earlier sentence that says that all authority has on, in heaven and earth has been given to me because I'm sending you as the Father sent me. 
Therefore, go with this authority into the nations. So the authority of heaven and earth is in your hands. Unless you are reading the Bible without understanding English. Hallelujah. There's nothing impossible. I could regale you stories of the grace of God and the things that have happened in my life. I have read them from the Bible, but now I can document it from my life. I've walked with God for 47 years and I've seen miracles. I've seen instantaneous deliverances. I've seen demons go out of people. As I minister, without even touching them, just because I've walked into a room. You have the authority of heaven and earth. You have authority over death. Satan cannot rule over you without your consent or your cooperation. Deny him that consent and cooperation. Resist him and he'll flee from you. I believe my time is I'm supposed to end at 8.40 with the communion. Let's talk a little about communion. That will help. Let's open to the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11. Verses 17. I just want to read the story so that you will have the certain correct. Because once again, through wrong teaching, our churches have denied people who should be taking communion the right and the boldness to take the communion. In the following directives, and the heading is correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. In the following directives, I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. So this is clearly an abuse. It's a collective thing we are doing. How is it that some go ahead and some are left behind and then some get drunk and some haven't got anything to drink? As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. So this is clearly an abuse. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Check the Bible well. Anytime Jesus was going to eat, he didn't go into the gymnastics of inviting God to come and share the food with him. God, it doesn't make sense. God does not eat. Thanks God. Thanks God. For every food you eat, just thank God. Stop inviting God and all sorts of people who never eat your food to come and eat it. Because you know they wouldn't eat it. If you want somebody who eat it, go on the streets and invite people and see whether part of the food will remain for you to eat or not. So stop your hypocrisy. Just thank God for the food. That is all. The tanking sanctifies the food. Amen. He says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a proclamation of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what it is. So always keep that in mind. You are eating the elements that represent the body of someone who died for you and rose up with you. And so because of that, you can also look forward to the resurrection. You are not just eating food. If you eat it without keeping in mind that you are making a proclamation of what somebody, Jesus Christ, had done, then you are eating it wrongly. It's not food. It's not just drink. And you shouldn't drink it with a blind, blind, blank mind. You should drink it remembering that it is an announcement that Jesus died for you and rose up for you. You should always keep that in mind. For an unbeliever, Jesus means very little to him. So clearly he cannot eat it in a proper manner because he lacks that proclamation. But for every believer who knows and remembers that Jesus died for you, then you can legitimately eat it. Then this is the verse that causes problem. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Who eats this in an unworthy manner? He doesn't say whoever is unworthy and eats it. He doesn't say that. The unworthiness is not the unworthiness of the person. It's an, the unworthiness of the manner you eat it, the way you eat it. So it's not to be eaten by perfect people. If you have a besetting sin that has held you captive and you are in bondage and it's not breaking free, but you are a child of God and you have been weeping over it, repenting several times but still going back to it, this is the best moment to be liberated. Because as you take it, 
proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the power of bondage in your life will be broken. So you are the first person who should be eating it. Our churches take, tell some people, don't eat it. I tell everybody who is a child of God, eat it. Crying to God about your besetting sin.